Well, we welcome you to this week's edition of View from the Press Box as Brad Hallier and myself, Scott Hogan, will take a look around Central Kansas as high school football playoff time. It's also college basketball time and much more as we're going to hop right into it, Brad, as let's go in the order these events are going to take place this week. So that means Tuesday night we have KCAC and Warrior Basketball as we hope Right now, it's still scheduled as a doubleheader at home for the Sterling Warriors to take on the Kansas Wesleyan Coyotes as we look at the women's matchup, which always occurs first. And boy, this is a, a great matchup. These were the top two finishers from a season ago. Uh, Sterling has practically their entire team back. Kansas Wesleyan, a good portion of that team last year. So far, the Coyotes are 3-2. and two. They've been able to play two conference games, defeating Southwestern 64-57, and that was on the road. And then at home, they beat Ottawa 74-53. to So let's first talk about Kansas Wesleyan a little bit. Uh, they have a fantastic one-two punch in uh, Amanda Hill and Kelsey Hens. If Hens sounds familiar, she was the uh, Remington High School product in she is fantastic, the six-footer down low. Amanda Hill's also six-foot, but she may be just as big a threat from the three-point line. She's a great three-point shooter. And I'll never forget this matchup on this same floor there in the Gleason Center last year. And Kelsey Hens put 31 points and 26 rebounds on the Lady Warriors in a victory for Kansas Wesleyan. They actually split and won on each other's home court last year. But I don't think I've ever seen a dominant performance inside like I saw from Hens. So that's probably priority number one on Tuesday night for the Lady Warriors. Well, do they have the ability to stop that? And uh, that, that's going to be the key, obviously. And I, I look at what they've uh, what this Kansas Wesleyan team has, has done so far. You know, they've, it looks like they played a pretty tough uh, non-con uh, schedule there, playing Midland 79-58 or 78-59, losing to Bellevue 77-54. So it looks like they've been pretty well tested so far. And uh, the, I guess the question I have for you, Scott, is does Sterling have that ability to stop the, the inside presence? Well, that's a good question. Let's look at the Lady Warriors because um, this will be their conference opener. Last week they had the, the it was a single game against Tabor. Only the men played. So they didn't get to play Tabor. They didn't get to play St. Mary on Friday. So what they did, I had their game Thursday. They went to Barclay and played the Lady Bears there. Played the starters about – quarter and a half maybe two quarters because the starters had not played together once all of them due to different reasons even when they scrimmaged and thoroughly whipped Hutchison Community College back in October with the starters and not all of them played in that matchup so they really I saw them really start to gel in the second and then when they played the opener of the third quarter it looked really good after that game Brad they traveled to Iowa the next morning I thought this was insane on Coach Bassett's <laughs> part. They went to – this was a two-day tournament on the floor of Northwestern Iowa, who is a perennial power, and these are both GPAC teams. So on their home – on Northwestern's home floor Friday night, they beat Northwestern Iowa by a final score of 78-71. They turned around and played the number eight-ranked team in the country, Dort, at noon on the following day on Saturday – and beat Dort 80 to 71. I, I was just, I was hoping for a split, Brad, when they went up there. And to go up there this early in the season, 
to GPAC country and take care of, of those two teams was just, just amazing. I mean, the ceiling, you feel like the ceiling's the limit. You ask the question, can they handle a Kelsey Hens? Well, last year they didn't have Taya Wilson. Now she's not near as thick as Kelsey Hens, but they also have Faith Martin is a, a junior college transfer um, in from, I believe it was Cloud County where she played where um, Emily Hendrickson started out. Right. Emily, of course, also a lady warrior for the second season. She's more of that, that style, I think, that can bang with hens. Um, Alexis Diaz is a little bit thicker. She, I, I think maybe they can do it by attrition. Um, you know, they also have a Hutch High product. Mackenzie Heffley is playing a little bit right now on yep. the varsity. She's six foot. She's a little bit stronger post. So I look for maybe, um, and even Bethany Stuckey um, from Mound Ridge. Now, she got um, – a blow to the head in the in the Barclay game, unfortunately, did not play in Iowa, but I think she may be ready to go um, for this one. So I think maybe they can just rotate and maybe try to wear her down that way. And certainly this team can run. I mean, and the thing I really like from the from the weekend is they they have so many weapons. It was different people in the Northwest Iowa game. It was Taya Wilson, nineteen points, eight rebounds. They put six players in double figures. Turned around the next day, had four players in double figures, and it was Sydney Banger. Generally, Bailey is the scorer of the two. Sydney came off the bench, had 17 points, hit five of six from the three-point line. So if one or two of your starters have an off night, you just have so many more weapons than they have had in recent memory that um, this team is is dangerous, and, and I, it's an important opener for them, and, and I think they've got the ability to beat Kansas Wesleyan. What you like about this schedule that Sterling has had is it's been tough and it's been rugged, and now they're going to get another one, not only with K-Dub, but Mid-American Nazarene coming up on Friday. They're going to know exactly where they sit long before Thanksgiving even hits, and I think that's a good thing. Even if you get a loss or two somewhere in there, you know, it's, a, it's going to be a long season, So, or at least we hope it's going to be a long season. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it's going to be a before, long season both ways. Yeah, <laughs> I, but I, I think that they, by playing this tough early competition, in and in in and out of the conference, they're going to know exactly where they stand. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, it is, and and this is the first year that there's only one division. You know, they've been playing uh, in Division Two. They recombine those divisions, so I admire Coach Bassett going out and scheduling. I mean, this was scheduling, as you know, Brad, on the move. I mean, these games came up only about five or six days before they played them. Is how these got scheduled. Um, so. Congrats to her on scheduling tough. I mean, if it comes down to those at-large bids for some reason, if they don't qualify automatically, these are wins that the a committee will look at uh, as being very important. Um, so, uh, what what an opener we'll have on Tuesday night. The men's game will feature a a two and three Kansas Wesleyan team. They are zero and one in the conference after a fifty-two forty-seven loss at Southwestern. Sterling is two and two. They lost their conference opener at home to Tabor, eighty to sixty-eight. When when I look at this matchup, Brad, I, I look at Sterling, and I saw their game against Tabor, and there's definitely a reason to be um, excited somewhat about this team. I mean, that they're they're better. We mentioned they have the the local talent and a Ken and Comley and a Lucas Breyer. Uh, Jemiah Haynes out of Texas. He's in his senior season. I was really impressed with uh, Grant Olson. He was a transfer from Baylor, 
Um, he's a seven foot sophomore out of Sugar Land, Texas. He took off quite a bit of weight. He's in much better shape than last season when he played just a few games in the second semester. He had 14 points, 22 rebounds, and six blocks against Tabor. And and, and I think I heard a com- commentator one time said, um, "You you just can't make up seven foot. I mean, you're seven foot, and you just can't." you can't compensate for that at times, especially shot blocking and rebounding. Um, so they have that force inside. What was disappointing in the Tabor game is what we saw throughout the season last year. This team still is not going to be more talented than a lot of their opponents. And coach hooker even said this, when we get the boring points <laughs> running our offense, he said, I think we can compete with anybody in the conference but when teams start to make a run at them, their tendency is, well, we've got to we got to be just as flashy as they are. They start taking those crazy one-on-one shots, you know, the step-back threes or driving the lane when they shouldn't, and all of a sudden you go from a close game and they're down eight or ten points. And that happened a couple of times in the Tabor game, and I, I think that um, that's what was concerning to me. Sounds like they're maybe still looking for an identity, Scott. And, you know, we're in early November, a handful of games into the season, and that's fine. Uh, and, and the fact that they have, a, you know, a couple losses and the fact that they're going to get a, a you know, pretty good inside look uh, against Kansas Wesley, and I think that's a good thing. But it sounds like to me they're still trying to find an identity, and there's nothing wrong with being boring. I mean, look, look how good Princeton was all those years, and nobody <laughs> played more boring basketball than they did. I mean, Let's be honest, Scott drew down at Baylor. It's not the prettiest brand of basketball that they play down there. I mean, they, they uh, Jim Bayham at Syracuse, other, another coach who has kind of made a living off not the prettiest form of basketball. And, that you know, winning ugly is not a bad thing. And sometimes getting those ugly, boring points or whatever, uh, it's, it's, it's okay. And I think that once Sterling maybe understands that, once the Warriors can figure out that, look, you know, we don't – if the team's on a 10-0 run, you know, hey, let's just let's keep working our offense and slow down a little bit and see, you know, try to slow their momentum down by playing our style of basketball. I think that's what they'll what they'll eventually figure. I think they'll eventually figure that out. Well, that's certainly what we're hoping for. You know, I think they're they were immature last year, even though they had a lot of seniors. They were one-year guys, so it's a it's almost a brand new team. It'll take them a little while, and hopefully, if this year's edition buys in and and plays that conservative or boring style, I think they have a chance to maybe at least get back into the postseason tournament, which they haven't been in there for several years. So um, we will see an important game to try to even out their conference record at one and one. Again, those games will be on 95-9 with pregame starting at 5.45 Tuesday evening. Well, Friday night, as we have had all season long here in the playoffs, we got six games on Ad Astra and Brad and I are going to look at a couple more games in the area. So let's start off in the order that the stations roll, Brad. Let's go 94-7 week on Ad Astra is a rematch of a semifinal matchup last year. 10-0 Madison, they're ranked number three at 10-0 number one Canton Galva. Madison destroyed Oswego 50 to nothing last week and Canton Galva 56-6 over Burlingame. Canton Galva went to Madison last year. I had that game. They they pulled away in the second half, but I recall looking at Madison's roster, and it was just mostly all juniors that were their key personnel, and I thought there's no reason, barring you know injury or something, that they're not going to be right back in the same position this year. 
The only difference is the game is at Canton Galva and it's the quarterfinals instead of the semifinals. Do you think Madison has a chance at the, what most would consider an upset tonight? Do they have a chance? I mean, sure they do. They're undefeated for a reason. Madison has a good football tradition. Do I think it'll happen? Not really. I mean, Canton Galva, <laughs> of course, is playing as, I mean, this, this, it's just a juggernaut right now. I mean, when you look at the great eight-man teams in history of Kansas, I think we're going to look back at these last couple of Canton Galva teams and put it up there with, with some of the greatest that we've seen. Um, Burlingame, a very good tradition, and they just pounded Burlingame, Burlingame last week, 56-6. to six. I know a guy who was watching that game, he's from Burlingame, and um, he was just saying that, you know, there, there, that there's nothing Burlingame could do. He just said there's just literally nothing they could do to stop it. And it was over at halftime, and he was saying that this is as good of an eight-man team as he's seen as he's seen in, in Kansas high school football. And, and from speaking from from a Burlingame fan who's had a lot of success these last few years, that says a lot. Um, again, do do I think it's going to happen? No. Could it? I mean, I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility, but you know, I, I think Canton Galva wins this one, and I won't be surprised if they win it easily. I think too they are just they're just too good. They're 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 focused, they're rolling, they just you know, when they beat Little River at home, that just gave them the confidence to know that they can they can beat the best teams in eight man and, and I too I, I think they win in advance to the semifinals. And while we're on that, the game I've got here on the sheet right above them, let's look on the other side of that bracket. It's not being aired this week on Ad Astra. But uh, I'm intrigued. Eight and two Chase County at eight and two, number five Little River. Chase County knocked off undefeated Sedan 56 to 18 last week. Little River, this was my game, Brad. They went to Clifton Clyde. Remember, they lost back on week two, uh, 42 to 36 in overtime to Clifton Clyde. Much different story this time around. This was a game that, as close as it was, was 10 points after Clifton Clyde's first drive of the third quarter before Little River scored three straight touchdowns to pull away until a kind of a garbage time touchdown made it a 46 to 26 final. But what you and I've talked a lot about Little River. We know what Graham Stevens and Jaden Garrison can do. They did a masterful job of that Garrison under center Stevens at fullback. And they do that little read play and they give it to Stevens and it seems like every time he hits right off tackle and he bounces off first contact and there he goes for, you know, on a bad play, four yards, or maybe he gets eight or 10, he gets those tough yards up the middle. And what that has done for them, Garrison will fake it and, and run a little quarterback keeper, but it also sets up, which it did beautifully on Friday night, play action. And Braxton Lafferty has become their third weapon. He had four catches, 102 yards, and two of those catches were for touchdowns. Garrison, my goodness, the game he had, 7 of 11 passing for 156 yards, three scores. And then he ran 15 times for 185 yards, four more scores. And Graham Stevens, those tough yards, 15 carries and 95 yards. I mean, they just really controlled this game against Clifton Clyde. And I, I do not see Chase County coming into their house and beating them. Little River has just been so focused since those uh, early season losses to Clifton Clyde and, and Canton Galva. Uh, both were, were, were close. So Clifton Clyde overtime and, and 
you know, the fact that Little River put up 38 points on Canton Galva is, is more of an indictment, I think, on uh, how good this Little River team is. I don't know if indictment is the right word or not, but whatever. <laughs> but I tell you what, they, they just have just been so focused, I think. And when they go to Clifton Clyde and win by 20 points, that just speaks volumes to me. I think that they are focused as anybody right now. And that focus right now is not the state championship game. I think that focus right now is Canton Galva in the rematch. Mm. Oh, boy, I would – if that game happens, and I, I think it will, I mean, obviously there it, there could be upsets. There could be that could be a completely different matchup, but that would be the the matchup in the semifinals. I would be all about that. Well, Brad, an interesting side note to the uh, Little River game. I was able to visit with uh, Trey Ross's dad, Trevor. We both know him a little bit, and uh, he told me that Trey was suited up on Friday night. He started practicing again last week, and is really wanting to play they were they were going to let him do what he wanted you know he's such a good basketball player they thought he might set out but when your team's got such a shot like this uh i don't believe that he played on friday night i didn't see him in there but i've kind of got a feeling if he feels good again after this week's practice uh, he might play a little bit in that chase county game and that just gives them a little bit more depth yeah i think if he can at least play i don't know maybe 10 snaps on offense 10 snaps on defense any little any little bit that he can provide, some kind of depth is going to be beneficial. You know, he's a, he's a good enough athlete. He's got some height to him. I think he's going to be able to provide, you know, anything that he can is going to be a benefit for this Little, little River team. And, boy, I tell you, that, that, that's a scary notion that here we are in mid, uh, early mid-November and Little River might actually be getting better right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, that should scare Chase County. I see that should scare. <laughs> All right. We roll on to 95.9, a very highly anticipated rematch. Six and three Bueller at number five rank, nine and one McPherson. Bueller just throttled number 10 rank Rose Hill 42 to eight down in Rose Hill. And McPherson beat Augusta 52 to 20. I was really impressed by Bueller um, for multiple reasons on Friday night. One, they led that game 35 to nothing. I believe that was a halftime score. And the other thing is it's not just the Sam Elliott show anymore. Bueller has found a way to effectively throw the football. We talked a lot about that earlier in the season leading up to the, what was an 18-6 loss to McPherson earlier in the season. If they could become more dynamic, this was the point in the season where they would need to do that. And, and I give them, I think, a better chance this go around. And it was close the first time. Yeah, it was eighteen to six McPherson the first time, but it was twelve to six late in the like with maybe four, three or four minutes left in the fourth quarter. So Bueller was right there, and I really liked how the offense has just gotten a little bit more uh, versatile. You know, Bradley Neal, the quarterback, has a, he had his struggles early in the season, but I think he sorted a lot of that out. He's now he's kind of it almost seems like I haven't seen him, but it looks like he almost has the Alex Smith approach right now. Just don't do anything that's going to beat you, you know. And I say that as someone who has the highest regards for Alex Smith. You know, what he has done, you know, through his career, I, he's, he's an underrated quarterback. So that's not a knock on Bradley. That's just saying I think he's figured it out. You know, he's done a good job of figuring of, of what he needs to do to help this team win. He doesn't have to force it out there. And But more importantly for Beelers, the way their defense is playing right now, you know, I admit I kind of – I don't want to say gave up on their chances after that 27-13 to 13 loss to Wellington. But, boy, since then, you know, they've given up six points, zero points, and eight points. And both those touchdowns they've allowed have come in garbage time. So they are playing at a very high level defensively right now. The offense is playing as well as they have all season. Boy, I, 
if I, if I if I could be in two places at once, that would be the other game I would be at. I think. I I, I think that well, we got such. You're going to see why I'd have a hard time deciding where I would be going, <laughs> other than my game. As we look at the 100.3, this would be another good choice. Number six, nine and one Garden Plain at undefeated number three Hoisington. The Cardinals are ten and zero. Cardinals were one of the teams that got a four-foot win um, this last weekend. Cimarron was unable to play that game. And Garden Plain, I believe they led 25-7 to in this game against Hillsborough. And Hillsborough almost came all the way back. Garden Plain held on 25-20. to We know the Al defense can be really stingy. They've got a good power running game. Question is, is that going to be good enough on the road at Hoisington? I would never count out Garden Plain. They're, they're, they're program is built for november football and really until last week it looked like that they, they had been playing defensively about as well as they had all season since that 44-7 loss to cheney they really hadn't struggled that much they gave up 24 to bell playing but a lot of that was in garbage time but the 20 points to hillsborough eh, i'm not sure if it's much of a warning sign as but as it is just that hillsborough played pretty well when they needed to there late in the game hoisington though boy they've just been as impressive as anybody haven't they They've really have just uh, – they put it to some teams this year. They beat a good Halstead team by 10. They beat uh, a, a quarterfinalist in 2A with Beloit by, by – or 3A by 6. And they beat Norton. They beat Nellsworth. They beat some good teams out there. I do think Garden Plain, though, they're, they're built for this kind of game. They're built for this time of the season. I just give a very slight edge in this one to the home team. Yeah, I, I, I too. I think I think Hoisington is going to be just a, a little bit too much, but I, I certainly wouldn't be shocked to see Garden Plain go in there and move on to the semifinals. Uh, the game I will have on Kicks Country 106.1, number one, 9-0 Andale, going to travel to Riley County. Riley County's ranked number eight. They are 8-1. and one. Andale, for the second time this year, beat Clearwater. It's not the fact they beat Clearwater. It's the fact they beat them 53 to nothing was just shocked me after Clearwater got that huge win at Holcomb last week. Riley County, 43 to 14, impressive win at home over Scott City, the traditional power. Uh, Riley County took care of them. Question is, as impressive as a victory over Scott City is, and the, the season, the only loss is to Silver Lake in a close game, actually, one point game, 29 to 28. Does Riley County have enough to hang with and beat Andale? I, I don't see it, but uh, I guess I will see it because I will be there. <laughs> yeah, you'll be there. You will. You'll see it one way or the other. Uh, but I think your question was more or less for me. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I don't see it happening, Scott. As a matter of fact, I think the only time we might see Andale get uh, a game would be in the state championship game. Probably, I would say either against Holton or Perry LeCompton. And Perry LeCompton played Andale in the championship game last year and brought, brings back pretty much everybody, and their only loss on the season is to the to uh, Topeka Hayden. I just don't see it happening. I mean, when you look at Andale, they have just annihilated teams. Not just teams, they've, they've played good teams this year. Mm-hmm. You know, they beat Rose Hill 58-10, Halstead 42-14, Heston 66-7, Collegiate 43-14, Clearwater 40-21. I just don't see how you cannot think that Andale – at the very worst, is going to be playing in Hutchinson in the state championship game. Yeah, it's it's uh, some different names to go with those numbers this year, but it, it's the it's the same old Andale. They are just overpowering their opponents, and I think they will do the same to Riley County Friday night. Uh, let's go on to our stream games. Let's go to your game, Brad. Uh, very intriguing matchup. 
four and six Beloit at eight and two, the Haven Wildcats. Beloit got a forfeit win um, against Phillipsburg to advance to improve to four and six. So they've actually won three games on the field. We'll talk about one of those wins in a moment. Haven, and this was also, I felt so bad for the Hutch Trinity kids. It's, it, you know, I, I just, I just want everybody to be full power and Trinity had to play without their first and second string quarterbacks and three other key players. It was at 1.66, but then it was just way too much Haven against Trinity in the second half. So, well, it's Wildcat fever. Everybody in Haven's talking about Wildcat football. Uh, do they have enough left to knock off Beloit and move to the semifinals? I just think it's just refreshing that here we are talking about Haven football in mid-November <laughs> with a chance of playing in the state semifinals. You know, they're, they're, with, uh, with Roper and Schmidt, they've got some good players in that backfield, and it's a very dynamic uh, offense that can move the ball. They go very fast. But what I like about Haven is their size. I mean, even if Trinity was full strength, it was going to be a tough matchup because they just don't have the size. Now, having said that, we know that Trinity and Haven played a great game earlier this year, a two-point game. But I, th- that's the one thing I love about Haven is their size. And, of course, there's just going to be so much enthusiasm. I know Beloit's only 4-6 and six with one of those being a forfeit win. But when you look at some of the games that they played this year, they, they beat a very good TMP team, 55-14. to 14. They gave Hoisington a heck of a game, 26-20. Mm-hmm. to 20. Uh, They played Centralia. They played Phillipsburg in the regular season. They've, they played Southeast of Saline, who is still playing 18 to nothing. They're, they're tested. I know that this isn't the Beloit teams of, you know, several years where we see them, you know, routinely 7, 8, 9, 10 wins. But don't, don't, let's not discount them. I think this is going to be a good game. I do, too. I, I think the Wildcats are focused. They're obviously excited. But this is Beloit, as most teams do at this time of year that are in the quarterfinals, they are playing their best football of the season. And I think they will will test Haven. I, I think just because I really would like to see Haven and Hoisington in the semifinals, I, I, think, I'm, I think I'm slightly edging or Haven to advance on uh, to the semifinals. Boy, that'd be something. Win three games when they hadn't won a playoff game in 44 years. If they could win three and a chance to advance the state, what a what a story that will be. Just uh, just two playoff wins in their history before this year. They've doubled the number of playoff wins in the last two weeks. <laughs> that's just it's still amazing. That, that's I see a lot of people from Haven, and that is all the talk right now is Wildcat football. Uh, Inman at Conway Springs is our other stream game. Eight and two, number six ranked Inman, and eight and one, number four ranked Conway Springs. Inman just took apart Remington for the second time this year, fifty to six. Boy, Conway Springs in a great ball game, fourteen to seven. They defeated Plainville. Uh, Conway Springs has a one point win over uh, Garden Plain earlier in the year. Uh, you know, power in 2A, Inman, a narrow loss to Smith Center and Hutch Trinity in the opener. Uh, who do you like in this one, uh, game being played at Conway Springs? It's kind of a cra- uh, contrast in styles. You know, Conway Springs, you know, just kind of they, – they don't run the same uh, system as Smith Center, but, boy, they, they just always seem to have that powerful running attack and, you know, the team that rarely throws the ball, and they just always seem like they're built for November. Having said that, uh, I tell you what, Inman, you know, it's an experienced team. They've, they're only losses to Trinity and uh, Smith Center, so they're, they're very well tested. They, they know that they can beat these, ca- these caliber teams. 
I don't think there's anything in this one, Scott. I think it's supposed to be a decent night for football, which which helps the Inman's athleticism. You know, can they handle Conway Springs' size? I guess we'll see. Um, I'll, you know, I think uh, you made mention of this in, in our pregame show that we recorded for the radio, but, boy, who wouldn't want to see a rematch between Inman and Smith Center? Oh, wow. I I certainly would. And, you know, before they played for the district championship, Inman and Smith Center, after I had seen Inman take care of Remington in the regular season, I thought the one thing that they might have trouble with, because Inman, as good as they are, they're not very big. And I thought if a team was big up front, had – uh, strong running backs and could just go right at Inman and somewhat negate their speed, that would be what would give them trouble. And that's what Smith Center did in a narrow win. And I'm sure that's what Conway Springs will try to do. And I don't know how to pick this one. This is one of those that should be very close. And boy, I, I'm rooting for an Inman Smith Center rematch. Wouldn't be surprised if it's Conway and, and Smith Center, but that's uh, that's why they play them and lace them up. It should be a Fantastic game, and that's at Conway Springs on Friday night. Uh, one other area game that uh, we want to mention, just because um, Brad and I's prognosticating skills have failed <laughs> us miserably, with the Gossel Bluebirds, we thought Kinsley was going to be too much for Gossel in the opening round. Not only did they blow out Kinsley this last week, they moved to 5-3 and three with maybe the game of the year, possibly, they went to Pratt Skyline and won in double overtime, 54 to 48. While their opponent this week, number six ranked eight and one Hoxie, just mopped up South Gray, 50 to nothing. Boy, Gossel flying high, Brad. They they get to host this game, coming off of that amazing win against a really good Pratt Skyline team. Do, do they have enough in this little miracle run to make it one more win against Hoxie? I'm tired of picking against them, Scott. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, you know, Gossel does have three losses on the year, but let's look at who they're to: Canton, Galva, Little River, Attica, Argonia. And there's those are three teams still playing in the playoffs and could be playing still next week, also. So I tell you what, this is the way that they, they just have played some very good football here down the stretch. And I went over Skyline; the power actually went out during overtime. So that was that was probably an interesting situation for all involved. Um, and, and of course they're, they're hosting the game. So I think they got a lot going for them right now. You know, Hoxie's a little bit different of an opponent. Their only loss in the season is to a powerful Leota, Wichita County team. They've beaten the likes of lacrosse and they've beaten Oberlin and they've beaten Atwood. So they've beaten some good teams, Spearville, you know, who won an, an eight man title not too long ago. So it, it's, it, it's, it's a tough matchup, but at this point, I don't see why a team like Gossel can't do it. It seems like you got to have one in one of the classes every year that just kind of comes out of nowhere. And so far, that has been Gossel, certainly an eight-man. You know, eight-man, maybe more than any other class, seems to always have the favorites and the powers always advance each year. It always seems like that, but, boy, Gossel is uh, breaking the mold, and I hope they can pull this one off. I, I I think if I had to pick them, I would I would pick Hoxie in this one. But you know what? I like I said, we both I'll be had that. happy with that. But yeah, we both had Kinsley, <laughs> so uh, that did not work out well in the first round. For at least it worked out well for Gossel because they uh, they are playing good football right now. So that that's our look at Friday night football on Ad Astra and other area games. So let's move to the Ad Astra college football games on Saturday 
Well, Brad, here we are, back to talk about the Sterling Warriors and the Southwestern Mound Builders, which was supposed to have taken place uh, three weeks ago today, or two weeks ago today, I believe it is. I've I've lost track of time with this crazy (laughs) college season. Uh, That was supposed to be Sterling's last matchup. They had the issues where they had to quarantine and not play the last two weeks. This was originally a date. They didn't have a makeup game. Good job by the schools getting together. So we've got this matchup once again, 0-4 Sterling. When they take a snap on Saturday, it'll be one month to the day since they've taken a game snap um, in this crazy season. Southwestern, last week they went to Bethel. It was a matchup of the undefeateds in the conference. There were, uh, let me double check my notes here, five lead changes in the second half after Southwestern led 21 to three during the first half. And unfortunately for the mound builders, that last lead change came with two seconds left. Bethel punched it in from a couple yards out and won 39 to 35 to give Southwestern their first loss of the season. And we have to go way back for Sterling. They lost on the next to last play of the game in their last game to Bethany, 26 to 21. Um, Boy, I'd like to find some optimism here, uh, Brad, but Sterling, uh, they've had a couple of kids opt out due to COVID. Their best tight end did. Um, Their backup quarterback did. They're supposed to have Ethan Richardson uh, back for this game. I look for them to protect him. He's had a couple of knocks to the head. He's played in two games, about six quarters. I like what I've seen. He's thrown for five touchdowns, run for one. His completion percentage... Just 54%, but he has no turnovers. Um, he's done a nice job. I look for them not to design run him much, if any at all, to try to try to protect him a little bit. Um, they've shown the ability at times to run the football with Alex Harbour and Dallas or uh, Daniel Doris Carr. They have just struggled to get the ball down the field in the passing game. And then on defense, they're giving up 48 points a game. Um Boy, it's, it's tough for me to see them coming off a month layoff where they couldn't practice for a while with missing the kids they are. They're decimated on the defensive line due to injuries that they can that they can take on a, a really good Southwestern team and, and beat them. I was just looking at the Sterling schedule here. My goodness, how, how long ago does it seem like since they played Bethany? I mean, I know it's been about a month, but it seems a heck of a lot, a lot longer than that. Um, boy, it, that, that's got to be – we knew that these, these were going to be unprecedented times and in a very difficult season for some teams. Um, I don't know. Some, some teams, you know, you just kind of get lucky with how the chips fall and, and you don't get a much in the way of breaks. You kind of get some regularity going, but Sterling just has been the exact opposite of, a, of it, I guess. I mean, this will be their fifth game, so that's good. They've played, they've played, you know, uh, quite a few games then, but it just seems that there's been no just ever flow or any kind of continuity. I mean, I just can't imagine the mental toll. The mental toll this has taken on the Warriors this year—not just uh, you know COVID and all that, but just literally not knowing week to week if they're playing or not. And I know everyone's dealing with that, but Sterling has lived it, Scott. Yeah, they. The, amazing enough, they actually did play back-to-back games in October. Friends on the tenth, and uh, then the Bethany game on the seventeenth. Um, but it's just been, yeah, it's. It was wearing on the coaches. You know, I was in the the office the day they canceled the Southwestern game three weeks ago. 
um, which will be coming up. And you could just tell they were, they were, th- they had a feeling it might be coming that day. We went ahead and, you know, did our normal thing like we were getting ready for that game. And you can just tell, you know, with the injuries and the, the 0-4 start, yeah, it's trying to hold this group together for the Southwestern game and then going to a, a really good Avila team on the 21st and then break and then come back in the, in the spring and play, well, hopefully play Kansas Wesleyan Tabor and St. Mary, but they still have the Ottawa game. I have no idea. Are they going to try to play four games in March? Are they going to bleed into April to try to get that final game? Uh, yeah, this is, this is a mess. And if, if coach Hansen can hold this team together and, and just pick up a win or two, it'll, it'll be a major accomplishment. Yeah, and you'd like to see just something good happen to the Sterling team. I mean, they came in the season with some pretty good expectations. And I, it'd just be nice to see them have something good happen to them. And, you know, and hey, maybe it doesn't, maybe, maybe all the good stuff happens in March. I and mean, we don't know what's going to happen, but it, it would be nice to see them going into that long break with something to build on and feeling good about something. Because, and you know, I, I know that this sounds a little homerish, but I think Sterling kind of deserves it. <laughs> yeah they 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 need a break somehow and boy it's hard to see it coming on saturday if for all of our listeners that's going to be a one o'clock pregame on hkfm and the sterling college sports network with kickoff scheduled for 1 30 and i'd like to get to a rosier topic but uh uh i can't uh, it's ku football time um, they won't lose this week. I guarantee it that they're on a bye this week. Well, they don't beat by ever either. So, well, yeah, idol might pull the upset this week. Uh, <laughs> oh, and seven. <laughs> oh, we have fun, but it, it, it's hard. Brad and I, if you've listened to this, you know, we're both KU fans and it's hard to see them. Oh, and seven. I watched as much as I could stand of the first half of the OU game that they lost 62 to nine. Uh, they're off until they play um, home against Texas on the 21st, who is starting to look like they're they're figuring things out. Um, boy, it was, after we were encouraged a little bit by the Iowa State game, that was stomped all over on by OU. That was as non-competitive as you could get in that game. Uh, Jalen Daniels behind a suspect offensive line without any weapons just is is learning the hard way where to and where not to throw the football um wow it's again this is a team you'd like to see something good happen to brad but i i see owen owen 10 written all over this when it's all done this fall yeah i think that maybe the only game that they might have an outside chance and would be tcu but it's 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 getting worse i mean i there there's there's been a couple breaths of, of life, like we saw with West Virginia, um, Iowa State. There, I know the final score looked bad, but it, it was a, it was a moderately close game for three and a half quarters. But I, it's it's just getting worse now. And that loss to Oklahoma, I mean, just hard to watch. I mean, I, actually, I didn't watch much of it at all. I think I turned it turned it off and on a couple of times. But it's not going to get better with Texas. Maybe they can piece something together against TCU. But yeah, Scott, this definitely has 0-10 written all over it. And. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I know we, we've talked a lot about – I've always been a big proponent, unless something is just blatantly obvious, when you hire a coach, you need to give him – I always felt like four years that at least has his recruiting cycle to where guys are at least becoming juniors. So I think you got to give Les Miles time, but you and I both said we'd like 
we didn't think it would go this far backwards from last year, but it certainly has. And you can't, you can't blame it on, on, on COVID or all that. Cause it's just, um, I don't know. It, it, it's a mess. And which kind of describes the big 12. Do you have any idea? I mean, obviously they're not going to be in the college football playoff. I don't think there's <laughs> any way that that happens. Who, who's going to come out of this mess and, and, and play in a, a New Year's Six Bowl. It, it, it's hard to tell right now. Some people think it's going to be Texas. Some people think the Sooners are going to put it together. Um, K-State, without their quarterback, I had predicted they were would not be a factor. And, um, you know, they've dropped a couple now. I, I have no idea. I mean, if I was if I had to pick somebody right now just because I'd like to see somebody new, why not Iowa State? Sure. Absolutely. I, I don't see any reason why Iowa State can't win the Big 12 right now. They're 5-1. and one. You know, They've gotten through more than half their schedule. Oklahoma State's been kind of a quiet 4-1 if you think about it, or 5-1 and one overall. Uh, boy, but where, where this conference started, uh, it, it hasn't. The, the Big 12 certainly has not covered itself in glory this year. But having said that, you know, I, I like the way Iowa State has come back from that uh, season opening loss that they had. I do think that it's going to be, you know, there, there's no possible way that the Big 12 plays in the college football playoff this year. But maybe what you might see with the Big 12, maybe get six, seven, eight teams into a bowl game because there's no restrictions on bowl game records this year. I think if they can have a good bowl season, we can look back and say, hey, maybe it wasn't that bad of a season after all. Well, we know the Coastal Carolinas having a good year. Wow, they are. <laughs> after beating KU, that was no fluke for, for, for darn sure. They're, they're a good football team. But again, KU off this week. They'll play again at home against Texas. On the 21st, well, and the Chiefs also have come up on their bye week, Brad. They're now 8-1 and one after a narrow 33-31 victory over the Carolina Panthers on Sunday. Actually got to sit down and, and watch most all of this game. And I'm going to start with the good, and then I'm going to talk about where my points of concern are a little bit moving forward. Um, boy, Patrick Mahomes just continues to to just put up the, the kind of numbers. I, it, it feels like we talk about these kind of numbers every week, 30 of 45, 367, four touchdowns, Kelsey, 10 catches, 159 yards, Tyreek Hill, nine catches, 113 yards, two touchdowns. They just, you know, through the air, they were able to move the ball and, and looked really good there. On the other hand, 12 carries for, 30 yards on the ground. That's a second straight game. I think they had 20 carries, 50 yards in their previous game against the Jets. Um, Carolina at times, especially the first possession of the game, they held the ball for eight and a half minutes of the first quarter. The Chiefs had one possession in the first quarter. Carolina was running the ball. I thought they would end up with more than the 104 rushing yards they had because they were rushing it well. It's the fact that they got behind. I think that um, they went to the pass more. But the lack of the rush game and now the the defense, if I was to rate my um, concern level, the defense as a whole, especially their run defense, Brad, that's starting to get into the six and seven range for me because we just – we just see it happen, and and the way to beat the Chiefs is to be watching Patrick Mahomes sit on the sideline with a jacket on because teams are methodically moving the ball on the ground, using play action against this defense, and that concerns me moving forward because the defense last year 
got better as the season moved on and were one of the big reasons they won the Super Bowl. I do not see the defense improving right now. No, and I will say this much. They do make plays when it seems like it's needed. Like we saw with Frank Clark there in the fourth quarter, I think it was, on Sunday. But, yeah, there's there's just some – it's almost gotten to the point where it's getting easy to run on them right now. And, you know, they got the Raiders coming up after their bye game. And, and that, you know, that – I'm not saying that's for the AFC West, but essentially is an in from the perspective if the Chiefs win, it's all it's, – it's over. But, man, I tell you what, it, there, there is some concern right now. But having said that, when, you're, when you only got one loss on the docket, you know, getting close to mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, it means you're doing something right. And that's obviously the offense. The, the defense, again, they're just making enough stops to, to get by. For me, though, Scott, one of the concerns is Harrison Bunker. I mean, the guy went into San Diego – or to San Diego to, – to, to the Chargers and was, you know, being lauded as the best thing in Kansas City and not named Patrick Mahomes. And, boy, since then – He's missed how many extra points? And he missed a field goal on Sunday. And, you know, I'm not saying it's time to look for a new kicker. But, boy, I tell you what, if one of these weeks, if the kicker costs you, if Bucker costs them a game, you may have to start asking the question, is it time to start looking for a kicker? Well, you know, he missed the field goal. Then he missed, I think it's either a sixth or seventh extra point in that game. Yep. And, and then in the, the offense had the ball late in the fourth quarter, had a pathetic <laughs> series of plays and when they punted the football back to Carolina and I looked to Carolina because they didn't even make Carolina use but just one of their timeouts. Yep. They had a minute and what was it, a minute and thirty one or some something like that. I I didn't think they were gonna win this game, Brad. And and if they had had a couple more plays go their way, they tried a sixty seven yard field goal. I mean I would have thrown the Hail Mary at that point. Maybe you get the pass <laughs> interference or something. But um, they made, the defense did make it just enough plays there to keep them out of field goal range. But that extra point missed could have meant the difference between their second loss or overtime yep. had Carolina got in, into legitimate field goal range. So, yeah, it's great that they're, you know, they're past the halfway point. They're 8-1. and one. You have to win games like that. They seem to they they seem to always be winning those games right now. But when you look at Pittsburgh, who should have could have lost their last three games, including this Sunday, to a pathetic Dallas team that for some reason was ready to play and nearly won that game. Um, and the Pittsburgh schedule gets much easier where the Chiefs does not. I mean, they still have a, a Miami team that's just on fire. They've got the Raiders. Uh, they've got the Buccaneers, although I would have loved to play the Buccaneers on Sunday. My <laughs> goodness, they look terrible against the Saints. Or did the Saints look that good? They've won five in a row. But yeah, I think they've got some things to work on. Um, I was a little surprised. Nothing out of them at the trade deadline to help their defense. I thought they might make a move for maybe a, a D lineman or somebody more of a run stopper to help them there. But um this is the defense and hopefully it can make a stride like it did a year ago when it got so much better late in the year and in the playoffs hard to see right now but um a, a little bit of concern i mean we're still happy or eight and one is eight and one but i'm just not sure how to feel about this team right at this point yeah and uh with the the, the good thing though the buy's coming up and the thing is, Andy Reid has just been uh, through the hit through his life, a master after the buys with the Raiders coming up. You know that they're going to be focused and ready to go for that one. So 
Sunday night game. I tell you, it's it's, it's going to be a lot of fun out in the out in the desert. And I I I, I don't say I'm overly concerned right now, but if they come back after the bye and struggle in one of those first and, and lose one of those first couple games against the Raiders or the Bucks or God forbid both of them, then you got a, <laughs> then you got a problem on your hands. And and when I say problem is. You know, fourteen and two right now may not be good enough for the n- number one seed based on how the the Steelers are playing, and I I tell you what, there's there's for the Chiefs if they want home field advantage throughout the playoffs, there's not a lot of room for error right now. No, there isn't, and maybe the one thing that the bye week can really do is to get Le'Veon Bell a lot more acclimated um, into this offense. He was I'm trying to remember if I even saw him on the field on Sunday. It was usually. Um, Clyde Edwards Alaire, but just, you know, again, with just 12 carries, um, you, I think you've got to get both of those backs involved some more. And, and maybe, you know, Andy Reid, he'll, he'll run any, anything anywhere from any, any time in history, any play, and maybe they'll find unique ways to get um, their two backs involved because th- both of those backs are too good not to get them both a lot more touches than they've had in the last two games. Yeah, it'd be good to see a little bit more. And the the running games has been so stagnant. They're worse than stagnant. I mean, it's been awful almost these last couple of games. So it'd be good to see. Uh, you know, I, I do think that they'll be able to hit the reset button here after this bye week. And it's coming at a good time. Uh, you know, get the guys a little bit of time off, a little bit of rest. And, and like you said, get Bell more acclimated to the playbook. I think they are going to come back. And I think they do beat the Raiders when they come back. And uh, if they can do it convincingly and maybe then go uh, play Tampa, and get a couple quality wins there, and it's going to be like nothing ever, nothing was ever bad. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I don't do not see them getting swept by the Raiders, and like you said, Andy Reid is almost money after a bye. So that's uh, that's the Chiefs again, both them and KU off this week of the schedule. So that's everything on the the plate that I had, Brad. So I guess we'll go to our 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 final thoughts here, and and I'll let you. Uh, Get yours out there first. Sure. Uh, I wanted to give a shout-out to the Dodge City High School boys soccer team. I've, As you know, Scott, I'm a well, I'm, I'm a soccer nut. I'm, I'm well-versed in soccer. I, I, I played it back in college. I, I, I coached it. I referee it. My kids play it. And having lived in Garden City and Hutchinson after graduating from college, I've kind of gotten used to, and I used to be this way, kind of gotten used to the, kind of the Northeast Kansas mentality of how no one can play soccer outside of Northeastern Kansas. <laughs> and like I said, I was a part of that. I mean, my, my, my senior year, you know, we were 11, seven and one in the semifinals and we played 17, one and one Goddard. I, I remember thinking this isn't going to be a problem. We won two to nothing. <laughs> I just remember thinking who they play. They played nobody, but Dodge city, they finished a 20 and 0 season this past weekend. And by beating Olathe East three, nothing in the state type, six, uh, a state championship game. There's only been four perfect records in history of Kansas high school boys soccer. St. Thomas Aquinas, not a surprise, had one of those. Wichita Northwest had one of those. Dodge City now has two of them in the last five years. And with that community, they don't have the resources that Kansas City, that Wichita, that Topeka have. I mean, even smaller cities like Salina and McPherson, Hutchinson, they're close enough to Wichita where they have a lot more resources. Dodge City doesn't have that. And what they've been able to do out there on the high plains with a predominant Hispanic team that just plays a beautiful style of soccer. Their coach is Saul Hernandez, a wonderful guy. I've gotten to know him a little bit. Sensational guy, sensational coach. I think it's awesome what they've done out there in Dodge City. 
congratulations to the Red Demons. And I hope that they, I hope they get another couple undefeated seasons in there to, to show everybody that they can play soccer outside of Kansas City. Yeah, that is highly impressive. I was, I was unaware that was going on at such a high level out there in, in Dodge City. Well, uh, my final thoughts is it's going to go out because we, we had a bad feeling it was coming at some point, and I, I didn't count for sure, but I, there was either five or six forfeits in the high school playoffs this last week, and then we talked about um, Hutch Trinity, at least one team we know of that had to play without – um, several key players in their playoff games. And I, I just feel for those kids. I, I know how devastated we were for the kids in the spring or the fall championships and then the spring sports where they didn't even get to play. Um, but here you are at that playoff time and then you have it taken away again. It's just, it's heart wrenching for me to see um, these games not be able to be decided on the field. So I just, I really feel for those kids and I, I I hope there's no more. We've got three more rounds to get through um, before we, we move into a little dead time before um, winter sports begin. So I, I really feel for those kids, Brad. I just was I was heartbroken to see um, Hutch Trinity play shorthanded and then those other five or six schools have to forfeit. Yeah, I really hope that uh, we see minimal forfeits. I think you're going to see these teams that are remaining take extra special precautions, even if that means – essentially maybe telling the players, hey, you're, you're staying at home for school, you're going to learn remotely, and the only time you're coming out of that house is for practice. Uh, that may be what we end, ends up happening. And frankly, I would fully encourage that. Yeah, it was even – I know it has been talked about. I live just west of Little River, and Little River's in the quarters and a great chance to move to the semis. I know it was, it was being discussed, exactly what you're talking about, the football team – staying at home as long as their run lasts and, and doing the remote learning until their season is over. And wow, it's the world we live in, but I doesn't mean we have to like it. it. Come down, <laughs> if it's come down to the, to forfeiting or, or playing and learning remotely, I know what every one of those kids would choose. So yep. um, I hope the schools, um, we agreed not to discuss our, our politics, personal feelings. So I hope the schools that are making maybe some decisions a lot of people don't agree with will make some, in this case, that will really benefit um, their student athletes. So again, let's review the, uh, the games we have this week for you. Uh, Tuesday night, I'll have Lady Warrior and Warrior Basketball, 545 pregame, 6 o'clock tip on 95.9 against Kansas Westland. The Friday night schedule, 94-7 Madison at Canton-Galva, 95-9 Bueller travels to McPherson, 100.3 Garden Plain at Hoisington, Kicks 106 Andale at Riley County, and our Ad Astra stream games are Beloit at Haven and Inman at Conway Springs, and then Saturday Warrior Football, 1 o'clock pregame, 1.30 kick on 95.9, the Sterling Warriors at the Southwestern Mound Builders. Again, we... Love you guys tuning in and listening and for the view from the press box and for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. We'll see you at the games.